And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply. This is the Athletics Football GM Podcast. And now, the Athletics Mike Sando and former NFL Executive of the Year, Randy Muir. Welcome to this Thanksgiving week edition of the Football GM Podcast. Mike Sando here, senior writer from The Athletic, along with Randy Mueller, the GM, former exec of the year. Randy, good morning. Happy holidays to you. Thank you, Mike. Good to be here. Thanksgiving's always a good uh, measuring point for NFL teams, so kind of happy we're progressing uh, so far so good, you know? Yep, absolutely. Unless you're uh, Baltimore having to go into Pittsburgh this week. Uh, tough one for them. But uh, we've got a quarterback edition today. They're, they're, it just sort of aligned this week, certainly coming off the Monday night game with uh, some questions around Tom Brady and Tampa Bay. We're going to hit that first. We've got a full film review on Taysom Hill. Uh, we've got not really a film review, but a little bit on Lamar Jackson. We're going to talk about uh, Tua's benching in Miami. We're going to talk about P.J. Walker getting the win for Carolina. Randy knows a lot about P.J. Not only scouted him, but has been with the same team as him. So we're going to get a lot on on P.J. Walker. We've got a word on Joe Burrow, very unfortunate injury. Uh, we're going to pick some good games this week. We have an interesting Ask the GM question about Dabo Sweeney's prospects as an NFL head coach. Remember, as we get down the stretch here, we're going to be talking potential candidates for jobs and what could open up. So, Randy, you got your... Uh, Film room ready to go on some of these quarterbacks? Ready to go, Mike. Looking forward to it. All righty. So, Monday night football, Tom Brady, Bruce Arians against, you know, a pretty darn good defense of the Rams that actually made Russell Wilson look pretty bad uh, not too long ago, a couple weeks ago. But that was not pretty for Tom Brady. That was not pretty for Tampa Bay. What do you make of it? I've got some numbers I'm going to share, but I want to hear sort of your initial thoughts on this game and how concerned we should be about Brady specifically, Bucks offense. Yeah, I think there's definitely, I, and I know everybody wants to, you know, jump on the Brady uh, criticism bandwagon. And, and I understand that. I think for me, it was more of a referendum on where the Bucks are right now on offense. And I kind of take this as a as a team effort. There's there's a little bit of blame to go around. There's some good things, obviously. They've collected some pretty fancy parts, some toys, some bells and whistles in in uh, receivers and a couple running backs. But I think they're struggling to put it all together, as we saw last night. I I think the biggest thing for Brady is, in in this case, I see a guy that uh, his his mind is making his appointments, but his body can't keep them. You know, and then there are times when when he doesn't see what he's seen for twenty years, and and that's a surprise for him. So, um, is that he, more than normal though? The body not being able to keep it. When you say that, I'm thinking, oh, then he, is he close to done or something? Or what do you mean by that? Oh no, I'm not saying he's done, but I'm saying he has to really. It's kind of like what we talked about with Philip a couple weeks ago. Philip Rivers in, in in Indianapolis. These guys just don't have the same you know, uh, the same juice on balls, the same accuracy, the same ability that they had when they were 30. Let's face it. What do they say? Age is undefeated. Yeah. <laughs> it's not going to change. It's going to get them at some point. But you see these things pop that pop their heads a little now, more often now than, than ever before. I saw him miss throws last night. And now I saw some of this last year in his last year at New England as well. Missed some people that were open. Um, obviously, he's always struggled with pressure in his face. That happened a little bit last night. But I also saw a guy that was indecisive making decisions. I just don't think this group is on the same page. Their offense is, yeah. you know, we've talked about uh, some of the offenses in this league, the ones that are further ahead have been together for a long time. This one obviously hasn't. So there's some issues there, in my opinion, is just the comfort level they all feel. The thing I've wanted for them, and I wanted them to do even going into the year, was get them a pass catching back. Give them an easy outlet against pressure. Give them something that gets them eight yards instead of an incompletion. And they don't have that. You could see the pass to Fournette. Leonard Fournette last night just clangs off his hands. You know, ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. So that, I think that's a, a little bit of a shortcoming, and maybe maybe just in putting this team together, 
uh, you know, they didn't mesh it well enough between Brady and, and Arians, and you're going to get through this whole season and have to figure that out, but that's a tall task. The answers that I feel like Tom Brady is looking for, I sense the frustration in him that those answers aren't there. You know, whether that's Bruce or whether that's the system, he's always had answers in New England. They had an answer for everything, and that's the coaching at its highest level. I just don't think he's feeling that same comfort zone where he's at now offensively. He, he Maybe it is as simple as some dump offs, some check downs, some easy throws, like you said. But there's, there's, there's not enough options for him. The other thing is we always criticize the, the quarterback in senses like this, but they didn't run the ball at all, <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and that's part of maybe their plan was it was going to be tough sledding to run the ball. But if that's the case, you better really have the controlled passing game, the short to medium range routes to act as your running game. But I think Tampa's best when they run the ball. When you see Ronald Jones, run, you know, breaking off longer runs, uh, whether it's Fournette, you know, any of these guys, they, they have the tools. They're just not really being used in the right way. Well, we're certainly getting an impression of, of where we're uh, on Tom Brady right now simply because he keeps playing poorly or not producing well in these primetime games. His last nine primetime games for this season, five last year, Brady's got a three and six record. He's 10 touchdowns, 10 interceptions, 77 passer rating. If you look at his last 10 non primetime games, 25 touchdowns, five interceptions, eight and two record, 105 rating. Does this guy need to get to bed early? I mean, is, is he now an old guy at the at the early bird special? I mean, uh, every <laughs> well, time we hey, see we him all, in prime we'll time, we all have that, right? <laughs> every time we see this guy in prime time, though, I mean, I, I'm asking these questions, so right. uh, certainly we can see. Sometimes he can really make the throws, but man, that was well. Ugly. I think the correlation is the primetime games usually have two good teams. Yep, <laughs> so that's true. In more normal cases, they're facing a pretty good defense, and I think that's something that. Probably hasn't got a lot of run yet, but we're going to find out that the Rams' defense is good. And you mentioned it off the top. They've done a really good job of putting plans together that have been effective depending on the teams they're facing. I just saw in this case the Rams on both sides of the ball being a step ahead and at a level higher than where the Buccaneers are. And that, I guess, bodes well for them down the course of the, the end of the season. But they've had some impressive wins this year. And, and I always go back to Sean McVay. I think he's a great coach. I think he's done a really good job implementing systems each week, game plans to win. I think that's what he does. He'll do whatever he has to do to win on offense. And I think that's bled over to the defensive side. Uh, absolutely. And you're right. I mean, they're, they're primetime games, the Bucks this year. They've played Chicago, the Giants, who are sneaky good on defense, the Saints, the Rams. And the Rams have made a lot of teams look bad. You're right on McVay. I love the game plan last night. Went heavy towards the pass, which isn't really their thing, but it worked against a really good run defense. Our next quarterback I want to talk about did not play a great defense in week two, but is very topical. There's a lot to sort of uh, get to with Taysom Hill and the Saints. Because it's funny, you look at these quarterbacks in the NFC South. You got Tom Brady, you got Matt Ryan, and we got Taysom Hill making his starting debut, and Sean Payton declaring victory. You know, just sort of <laughs> rubbing it in, like I told you so, yeah. man. I told you guys doubted me uh, <laughs> on this move. You thought we were going with Jameis Winston. Well, let me let me tell you, we started Taysom Hill. We won twenty four to nine. I can sure coach up the quarterback, and Randy, I will. I'm the first to admit I am not going to be hired by an NFL team to break down film on quarterbacks, right? I mean, that's uh, <laughs> I have a couple Come talents. On, that's not one of them. You have been hired to do this. <laughs> You've done a pretty darn good job of it over the years. Let's go into the film room on this Taysom Hill performance uh, well, yeah. for you. What's truth? What's fiction? I think it's it's one thing to be used as a gadget player in certain situations and and set up uh, to to succeed. You know, that's really what they've used Taysom Hill with the last few years. And this was the first chance we got to see him actually under center from snap number one through snap number 65 or whatever it is. Having said that, it's still only one game of sample size. But yes, I did get a chance to go back and, and look at the film and, and kind of break down exactly what the facts are and not what we're led to believe uh, as we go through these quick takes by most of the media and others uh, on a week-to-week basis. But you hit on the nose in that he's the teacher's pet, right? I mean, we understand the teacher loves the student here. So he is going to set him up for success. It's There's ego involved, there's agendas involved, and believe me, it's the NFL, but that stuff happens a lot. So people may say, oh, no, they're going to do whatever they have. 
Not really. Everybody has everybody has egos. Everybody has their own spin. And you mentioned it. They're not going to let this kid fail. I should say Sean is not going to let this kid fail. But 18 for 23, 233 versus Atlanta. Um, he called, a, a, in my opinion, a complete game. Sean did. And Sean is a great play caller. Don't get me wrong. He called a complete game of Taysom Hill gadgets. That's really what he did. <laughs> I mean, it was it play in and play out. I mean, they ran quarterback powers with this guy. He he took the snap with a single. I thought I was watching the single wing. You and know, he's getting pull, blown up, which yeah, by the way, not a good guards, thing for tackles, quarterbacks. Yeah. And he's running behind him, and, and that's what he is. So I understand that. But you're talking about a 30 year old kid who hasn't played a lot of football as a quarterback. So there's certain things that he does best. A drop back passer, he's not uh, physically. He has the arm strength to make most of the throws, but really, they didn't ask. Taysom Hill to process and read coverages, but one time that I saw on film uh, on Sunday. And that was when he faced a zone blitz scheme that completely fooled him. So yep. he, he, he is set up on half rolls. He's set up on sprint outs, bootlegs, uh, reverse jet, jet reverses, all the things that he's made his living on these first five or six years in the league. So they didn't get away from that. And like I said, he's a gifted athlete, so it makes sense to make things happen with his legs. That's what he does, make things happen with his legs. He can set in the pocket and drive on a deep crossing route because he, he can throw a fastball. It's all the other throws that come with the position that I didn't see him make. He's not a, uh, uh, an anticipator of guys coming open to throw with touch, to throw with the correct trajectory. The game plan was very Chasing Hill friendly. And again, that's smart. That's what they should do. But with all the designing he did, I thought it was more like a Baltimore Ravens game plan, to be honest with you. I thought he took a page out of Greg Roman's playbook when they ran the offense. It was it's one that I don't know can be sustainable. I'm not sure it varies much week to week. Gadgets are going to work, no doubt about it. But I wasn't ready when I was done with the film to take a two-touchdown win over a 3-7 and seven Falcon team whose defense stinks and say, we've got the next uh, Joe Montana. You know, I just think there, there's got to be some more to the story yet. And, and the quick takes are good. But, you know, I think he did what he did. Uh, Sean did what he thought Taysom could do so he could beat his chest a little bit, but time will tell in my opinion. And a couple of those deep balls, I mean, one of them was practically fair caught, you know, the one that there was a fumble and after the play, I mean, he's short by five, seven yards on a couple of the deep balls that should have been been touchdowns, you know know what I mean? Yeah, I think it's timing and feel, and and he just, the kid doesn't have that right now, and he's not an NFL passer, and I think that view is shared by most of the league. Sean is you know, been adamant about how good of an NFL passer or how good of a quarterback this guy can be. He's not an NFL passer by any stretch of the imagination. Doesn't mean he can't get there, but, you know, you're talking about, like I said, a 30-year-old kid who's got very little development time. What did he have? He thrown 15 passes before Sunday. Yep. So, And, and I, th- yeah. I think that he can get them through a stretch, right, of games. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, and, and Sean Payton may be able to time this thing up so he never has to admit that Taysom Hill isn't a good quarterback. I'm pretty sure there will not be an admission of a mistake. Let me just say that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, but but let's just say this. Let's just say they kind of are able to sort of keep winning. You watch the film. You don't want to sign this guy as your quarterback. But it's enough. They've got a great defense. It's playing yes. really well. Yes. Other teams in the division have their own issues. So let's just say they get through, and now you get to a playoff situation. Could they – when we play in the playoffs with Taysom Hill is, I mean, the, Drew Brees has got 11 cracked ribs. Is he going to come back strong? Yeah. I mean, I feel like this team is going to be in the same position as last year and all the other years that they're going to, you know, be able to make a little bit of noise in the playoffs, but not be able to finish it. And this year it could be because of the quarterback position. Do you buy that? It could be. They're going to be very one dimensional. There's no doubt about that. And, and in the playoffs, as the Ravens have found out, it, it's about matchups. It's about your opponents and how they match with what you're doing. And and teams are, I think, going to roll out blueprints similar to what we're seeing against Baltimore and where their offense has gone. So it depends on who they play. They're going to have to always play good defense. You know, they were in the Falcon game, really. The, the Saints defense dominated the Falcons up front. I think it was, what, eight sacks or something like that. It was embarrassing what the Falcons rolled out there on offense. So, again, I'm not taking anything from Sean or the plan because I think he did the right thing with the tools he has. I just don't know how sustainable that is. And I don't think we've solved any any issues with if this kid's a, an NFL quarterback for the long term. I just I, I, I didn't see yeah. enough. There he's to not, say, hey, he's not a starting quarterback next year in the NFL in week one, is he? 
Not in my, not in my opinion. Not even close. I mean, and, and unless not, you want to run this kind of offense, and I'm telling you, even the Ravens don't want to run this kind of offense. That's just what they have. So I don't yeah. think Sean does either. But this is the agenda he has in play right now, and and we'll see. But no, I don't see a long term solution at quarterback as an NFL starter in this guy's future, at least not from what I saw after one game. Yeah, do you think Jameis will be starting for them at a certain point if, let's just say, five games have to go by? You know, if, you know would, would they make a switch? Do you think they would have to do it, or would Sean not do it? Well, that's that's ego versus what, you know, <laughs> that's a hard one, and I'm stammering when I answer that because you'd like to think they'd put the best group out there. I do think at some point they're going to have to throw the ball with a more sophisticated passing attack. Yeah. Uh, and Jameis gives him a much better chance to do that. So yeah. we'll see. Again, I think it's about matchups. Uh, I don't know who they play. I haven't looked at their schedule, but they're going to play teams with better defenses than what the Falcons are rolling out there. That's for sure. Uh, yeah, I love – we're going to move on to our next topic, and it's and it's a, it's such a contrast. you know. So we're talking about here with Taysom Hill, and Sean Payton is publicly invested in the perception of this player, uh, yeah. making Sean Payton be able to appear correct, right, that I'm yeah. right. No doubt. You, you go to Miami – and you've got two of their number, what, five overall draft pick at quarterback. Yep. And they kind of a little bit surprisingly put him in the starting lineup when they've been winning with Ryan Fitzpatrick, even though we all know Ryan Fitzpatrick's not going to be the answer for the next five years. He's still a good leader of the team and, and a veteran quarterback. They make that switch. And Brian Flory is their defensive head coach who is not invested in any narratives about Tua. He's only invested in the narrative of, given ourselves our best chance to win this week. Right. Benches him. <laughs> I mean, we're not talking about 10 games in and he's and he's horrific. These are this is just normal bumps in the road here in what his third third or fourth start against Denver and they're not down by 30, they're down by 10 points. It was it was for me, it definitely sent me back to the film and I'm glad I did, but I even harken back to last week. I saw a little red flag in Tua last week in some interviews that he did during the week. And I don't know if you saw this, Mike, but he was asked, are you surprised you're, you've been this effective? Are you surprised that things have come this easy for you? Being that a year ago you had gone through what he was going through injury-wise at Alabama. And, and his response kind of took me back a little bit. He said, you know, I thought it'd be harder. I didn't think I would be this far ahead. <laughs> and I saw a guy who was kind of feeling his oats a little bit. And I could feel... Brian Flores cringe wherever he was in the building or if he ever heard that. So I don't know that this had anything to do with this. But as you prepare for a week, you're already on notice that this guy better be sharp now. He'd be, he, we don't play East Carolina this week. We're playing the Denver Broncos, right? So yeah, everybody, can, Good defense. Yeah, everybody can beat us on any given Sunday. And then you get to the film. And I went back and looked at the film to confirm this. I saw a guy that wasn't sharp mentally. I saw a guy that wasn't sharp physically. I saw a guy that missed receivers open and uh, both physically missed the throws and then didn't see others that were open. And then I saw him just miss flat out downfield on some on some throws that it showed me that this guy wasn't sharp. But I think it went back to the week preparing as well. I think it's the lesson that Brian Flores wanted to send was one, we're all accountable. And two, we all have to prepare every week like it's a Super Bowl. Everybody on the other side is getting paid too, and the other teams are really good. I would have loved to have had to answer that by saying, hey, I haven't made anything yet. <laughs> we know I've played two games, and, and I didn't hear any of that. Yeah, yes. an awareness of the fact that he's not good yet. Right. I mean, people after one or two games are like, hey, the future of the NFL is here, and two is part of it. Well, oh, yeah, we they're ready to crown him. Yeah, they're crowning him the king after two games. You know? And they haven't played. He hasn't played good. The offense hasn't been good. I mean, they had one decent game against Arizona, and the rest of the time, the offense just would have lost him the game if they weren't doing so well on defense and special teams. So right. uh, I just, you know, bigger picture. I got a couple of interesting questions for you. I think one of them is just uh, bigger picture. How would you feel as a GM about yeah. you just drafted this guy? You know, let's put yourself in Chris Greer's shoes or whatever. And yep. yeah, you do have you you are invested in the perception of him, right? And the perception of him and the team and all that um, it matters to some degree. Are you worried about pulling you know pulling the rug out early? And do you have to talk about this ahead of time as an organization? Is there any risk and downside to this, or is that all kind of overblown? And we're in a you know, why should we coddle the quarterback position? You know, where do you sort of fall on that? 
Right. I think that's a big bag to unpack without a doubt. You bring up some great points. I I would first say this. I'm going to back the coach as the GM, whatever he decides. So if he, he did this, I'm all in. I understand it. I get where he's coming from. Having said that, I think the, the, the most thorough organizations would have discussed this ahead of time. What would it take to replace this guy? Just in discussion, what would he have to do for us to make another change to go back? We just did it with Ryan Fitzpatrick. What would it take? Just a discussion. I used to love to discuss this stuff, even though it might not be reality, but it forced us to have to think through some things ahead of time. But I would definitely have backed Brian in whatever he wanted to do in this case. But I think Tua's case, it's twofold. You have a quarterback who's physically making errors. And and I think you have to live with a certain amount of that as a coach. And I think most would, but it's the mental errors, I think, that cost, uh, that, that made Brian pull the pull the cord on, on Tua against the Broncos. Because this kid wasn't sharp mentally. He just, and again, he was, the, the things were happening fast for him on tape and, and he was reacting way slow. So I just think Brian said, whoa, this is it. This kid's not seeing it right. It's slow for him. Obviously, he's not a polished quarterback in any way yet. So let's make the switch now. See if Fitzpatrick can get us out of this. He's already said two is the starter next week, so there's no controversy. I understand it. And, and like I say, I'm all for accountability. And I do think it sends the message to the, out the locker room that we're all accountable, even the quarterback, who is this, the star, you know? Yep, absolutely. You know, what a quarterback says is important. I think you hit on something there with uh, with Tua that we want to see a maturity and an understanding of how, just how far we have to go and, and not, yep. not just answer the question you, you did. Another quarterback who you, we mentioned alluded to a little bit ago on that regard is Lamar Jackson. And I want to discuss not so much the film breakdown on him. I think we sort of know where they're at offensively. It's been talked about a lot. He said something interesting after his game Yeah, in a different vein than what Tua was saying. I think Lamar was very, uh, is very cognizant of sort of where they're at and what right. needs to happen. What struck you about his comments after the game, basically saying he felt there was something missing with yeah. Baltimore and that maybe the Titans kind of wanted it more. And that's something we hear a lot, sort of like a cliche of, hey, they wanted it more, we wanted it more. And it gets dismissed. John Harbaugh even sort of downplayed it. Right. You didn't. That struck you in our conversations this week. Why? Yeah, no doubt about it. I was impressed by Lamar Jackson in the defeat and and his reactions to it. I think it's obvious that he's we're very critical of Lamar and his lack of certain skills. I think we ought to uh, give him credit for the leadership that he showed, and in this case, holding others accountable as well. This was a, this was a, against the, the the Titans was a dirty, you know, a kind of a, a mean, nasty started in pregame type game, right? It was a yep. bully, a bully game, and the Ravens are pretty good at bullying teams. They have been for years. Well, they got. Ravened in this game because the Titans bullied them. They won battles up front on both sides of the ball. It was kind of mean and, like I said, nasty. Even the, the the coaches after the game, there wasn't a firm handshake or even a bumping of fists. You know, I think J- John Harbaugh knew. I think he knew that they had got out bullied, and I think it really bothered him. And it, 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 he he's obviously the head coach and sees more big picture. And he downplayed it, like you said. He wasn't willing to let that message out there. But I think his worry was uh, that, hey, other teams might do this to us. And I think Lamar Jackson just spoke from his heart. I think he, he truly felt like the other team wanted it more than them. And I've said for years, and I've said it on this podcast, I think the, especially in the second half of NFL seasons, the more desperate team comes out ahead more often than not. And I think they they felt like, or at least Lamar felt like, the Titans were more desperate, and that showed. And sometimes you do play a little harder. You do lay it more on the line. I mean, some of the it's easy to do when when you have a big back like the Titans do to to bully people. And but that that showed in this game. And I think Harbaugh is trying to reset the table now this week so that one others don't bully him, but two uh, he 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 doesn't want to show weakness at all. So so there's a fine line there. But I think. It showed me that Lamar Jackson has some awareness and some leadership capabilities that maybe we don't give him credit for on the surface. Yeah, absolutely. I I think you can feel that with him. And it would sure be nice if they had a full week here to get going and played a bad team, because I really feel like they just need some mojo. You know, they need to get it back a little bit. Instead, they're going to play Thursday without their top two running backs against Pittsburgh, who's probably the best team in the league or certainly the best defense. And they just played him about, what, three weeks ago and really took him right down to the wire. 
So I, I think you're right. Now playing them again on short short week with uh, not a healthy group, I, I kind of in a way feel bad for the Ravens, but uh, that's just the way the NFL is every week. Maybe we're going to be looking for some more leadership from uh, Lamar Jackson after this game. I I don't see how they win it, frankly. Yeah, um, I think it's going to be tough on them. The game's in Pittsburgh, right? Yeah, the game's yeah. in Pittsburgh. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's going to be a tough one. Um, God, we, we're several quarterbacks into this, and I want to get to P.J. Walker in Carolina. But first, I kind of promised myself I was going to ask you this um, because I think it's taken for granted by people like you um, who have been evaluating quarterbacks for a long time and just watching film for a long time. No one else knows how to do this stuff. You know, and I, I would like, before we get into the to the P.J. Walker discussion uh, with Carolina, to maybe share a little bit with people you know, like we've, we've talked about multiple quarterbacks today. When you watch the film on Taysom Hill, you watch the film on a quarterback. Um, how do you do it? What are you looking for? What's important? What's BS? Can right. you give us, can you, can you kind of walk us through that? Because mm-hmm. no one's been in that film room, you know, with you. It's not something we really get to see. We see a lot of people on Twitter like to break down film, but they don't always know what they're doing. Right. Well, how do you do it? I'd like to say there was a, a, a process that you never uh, deter from, but it kind of depends on the players that you're, you're talking about and the system that you're going to fit them in. I do think with a quarterback, there are some common threads, though, and, and beliefs that I have in, in evaluating quarterbacks that haven't changed over the years. I always would ask to our scouts who gather the information when they go to colleges uh, when talking about quarterbacks. But one of the first questions out of my mouth is, I always want to know, how is he when shit goes bad. How is he when, when stuff doesn't go like we draw it up? That's something that's hard to measure on film. I can measure a lot of things on film, but I don't know how his reaction is when it doesn't go like the coach says it's going to go. So yep. I do want to know that. That's very important. And, and you got to figure that one out. The other one is I got to know if this guy can process information. I don't think the average fan understands how much information that these quarterbacks take in on a play-by-play basis. I think you could write a book on once the signal or the call comes in to the quarterback's ear, what happens before the snap even happens? Yep. They have to process a ton of information. So you cannot be intellectually challenged and play quarterback in this league. That's the biggest uh, thing. Yeah. So, so you've got to process this information pre-snap, and then you've got to start the processing over post-snap. So those are things, again, that are hard to get on film. So you've got to gather, I think, the thickness of his skin, which tells you how he does when things go bad, and then his ability to process. And I always go back to this when evaluating quarterbacks, too. The coaches in the NFL are good. We've said this many times. They're really good. Eventually, they are going to make you stand in the pocket and throw the ball. So let's fast forward to the end of these these evaluations in that how can this guy eventually beat you from the pocket? If he can't beat you from the pocket, you're going to eventually then have to run the gadgets. You're going to have to run some different offenses that a lot of NFL coaches really aren't comfortable with. So I always wanted a quarterback that could could end up standing in and beating you from the pocket. And therefore, you've got to start with the fact that is he comfortable in the pocket? Is the quarterback comfortable in there? Is it for him? And usually that comes with an answer of yes, only from bigger guys, only from 6'3", 6'4", quarterbacks. So that's why we never in the past would consider the Kyler Murrays, the Baker Mayfields, even Drew Brees to a point, you know, these are six foot quarterbacks and the pocket necessarily isn't for them or hasn't been in the past. But I think the game has changed enough now to where these offenses are allowing these quarterbacks to play on the move, to get outside the pocket. And so some of my staples in evaluating quarterbacks, um, you know, have to be altered a little bit. But I do think you still have to be able to be effective processing information from the pocket. So those are big things. And you've also got to start with the premise of, let's figure out, can this kid make all the throws? And when I say all the throws, it's it's not the bubble screens and the dinks and dunks and the spread stuff that a lot of the colleges run. He's got to be able to throw the ball downfield. So you've got to be able to make physically all the throws that you're going to be asked to make. So there, there's a lot that goes what's on into your li- What's on your list of throws? Then, you know, what are, what are the three or four that differentiate guys? Well, I think for one thing, you've got to throw things on time, and that usually comes with outs. You've got to throw deeper outs. You've got to throw deeper crosses. You've got to throw 
The hash marks are different in college, so the arm strength... And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream Direct TV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECT-TV. Terms or restrictions apply. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub an official partner of The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. From an NFL point of view, really it's easier to judge a guy's arm strength in college because he's, he's way off to the side with the hash marks like they are, right? And so there is a wide field. There is a short side. In the NFL, you're always thrown from the middle of the field for the most part. So those kind of throws that... that can he drop it in over coverage? Can he throw a ball with a linebacker between him and his target and drop it in? Sometimes the release and his technical, not to get too technical in this discussion, but the technical fundamentals of his release tell me how accurate he can be and how consistent that can be. You know, some guys release the ball in different ways that I know he can't drop it in over coverage. It's just physically uh, impossible for that release to deliver the ball, you know, in certain spots. The other thing is the trajectory and the velocity where the ball comes out are, in my opinion, uh, you, you need the tools to do them all, but it's a, it's a technicality of, of instincts, I think. You've got to know when to put mustard on the ball. You've got to know when to take something off it. You know? So those things, the trajectory um, of throws, uh, I don't think that gets enough credit when people are starting to look at quarterbacks. So it, can, it, it should be deep. It should be a, a, a thorough analysis. And believe me, when we do this in the NFL, we consider all this stuff. So it, it's hard yep. to develop a, 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 a rap sheet on a quarterback after 60 plays. You need to see more than that in order to see him you know, under stress, under blitz p- packages, can he get you out of plays, all that stuff. It's, it's a, obviously, it's not easy or everybody would be doing it. We're in the home stretch of our quarterback reviews here, but P.J. Walker leads Carolina to a 20 to nothing victory. Of course, the Carolina defense had something to say with that too, but a 20 to, 20 to nothing victory over Detroit could really have Matt Patricia on his last legs there with the Lions, but P.J. Walker somebody I – don't know much about it at all, Randy. You ever heard of this guy before? It seems like uh, uh, I'm kidding because Randy was general manager of the XFL franchise in Houston when PJ was there. So you were not necessarily confident he was going to you know, win his first NFL start. There's a lot of components that go into that, right. but you kind of like him. Sure. Uh, were you surprised they got the W? Um, I'm not surprised. I'm actually never surprised by what this kid can do. Obviously, I go back a ways with him. So, you know, I guess we talked about 
Sean Payton having a teacher's pet. Maybe PJ's my teacher's pet. I don't know. (laughs) But when June Jones and I selected him to be our quarterback in Houston in the XFL, I had already done a thorough breakdown on Temple visits when I was the national scout for the Chargers and had seen him in preseason uh, play every game with the Colts. So there was enough background and enough information there where his body work was pretty good. Um, Coming out of Temple, he didn't get a lot of credit. He wasn't drafted. He was an undrafted free agent. But this kid has a lot of tools that in the right situation, I think will allow him to be successful. And in our case, in Houston, June Jones runs a run and shoot. So the things that PJ excels at were were obviously things that June does and and thinks important in a quarterback. So it was a good fit for us. I think the biggest thing uh, without getting too detailed on PJ is the kid's a winner. He won at Temple. You know, he, he, he won with us at Houston. Um, he has all the skills you're looking for. He's not a tall guy. He's one of these guys that's just yeah, under he's six 5'11", foot tall. So yep. I mean, yep. yeah. but he can make all the throws. He's not afraid to stand in the pocket. He doesn't have to be on the run. And you saw some of that. This kid, he's not going to jump out at you in a workout, even in a practice for that standpoint. But when the lights shine bright and the pass rush is live, you want this kid. And he's a he's a, an athletic enough player to avoid pressure and to make things happen outside the pocket. I think he has the perfect skill set and leadership uh, qualities to be a backup quarterback in this league. And it showed. I'm not saying that PJ Walker, you can, you know, uh, stand on for the next 16 weeks as an NFL starter. But as a backup, he proved to be exactly what we thought he was. He's a solid leader with intangibles and a good, sharp kid. And, and I think showed the other, the other day that he's a legitimate backup in our league. Absolutely. You know, it's funny. I just every once in a while I go through who the backup quarterbacks are in the NFL. And I think yeah. most people, if we quizzed them, you couldn't even name half of them, you know? So right. uh, he probably is much better. He's probably, would you put him in the upper half of, back, of backup quarterbacks or in the middle somewhere? Oh, I would for sure. I mean, I, I know more about him, but yes, I, I'm for sure. And it's funny when, when the... NFL teams came to the XFL to look at him. They would always ask me about him. And I felt like anytime I would start talking about him, it was kind of like they just turned the other ear. They really didn't want to hear it. They already knew the evaluation on this kid. But having had him and see him every day, um, yeah, I think I think this kid would definitely, I told these guys, he would be definitely a, a, a solid backup. And, and I thought it was a great fit for him to go back to Carolina with his college coach, Matt Rule, who had him at Temple. So familiarity. Yeah, they've just done a good job in Carolina, too, it, it seems yep. like. you know, Very and, good. And they've been on a little bit of a, a skid lately, but that was a big win for them and a big win for P.J. Walker, and we'll see what happens with him in the future. But maybe he's nailed down a spot as a backup quarterback instead of bouncing around on the practice squads. You know, we'll, we'll, Here's the other point quickly, Mike, on that. In fact, that P.J. has had some success. I just think it's another uh, example of how a spring league or an, uh, a triple a type setup can develop these quarterbacks. It's a quarterback driven league. These guys in the past, that's how we found the John Kittness, the Kurt Warners, the Jake Delomes. These guys all became NFL starters because they played in one of these spring leagues, the, whether it was the world league or, or whatever. And I think that this shows again, that if these guys get opportunity under real lights with real bullets, they can develop. And the same can be said for other positions too, but really quarterbacks need to play together get better. And PJ used the XFL to, to jump into this opportunity and, and uh, good for him. Yep, absolutely. I, I remember that with Kitna. I was there covering the Seahawks yep. when he came up and, and uh, heck, Kurt Warner at about the same time. I mean, one of the, yep. he's a Hall of Famer. So, right. Because uh, so much of that position, yes, you got to be able to throw the ball and have certain things, but there's a feel for the game and some of these guys have it and, and some of these guys And you never see it up. unless it's under live conditions. Right. You never see it unless it's under live conditions. And so, uh, you know, that's why I think some of these evaluations are so um, hard, right? I mean, we don't yeah. get enough chances to see them in those different situations with different defenses and all of that. And so the more you get, especially now they're coming out early out of college and all that. Uh, we've barely gotten to see Joe Burrow in Cincinnati. And unfortunately, does the ACL, the MCL, a lot of structural damage. So we'll have to see how well he's able to come back for that. I think we sort of take for granted, oh, it's an ACL, you know, he'll be fine next year. But um, this is a pretty bad setback. I think people were really, really um, high on him with the Bengals. And yet there were a couple of tough games recently for him. Um, They threw the ball a ton. I mean, he was leading the league in the number of pass attempts in the game. And I know they weren't all seven-step dropbacks, patting the ball and inviting trouble. But I wasn't always 100% loving the fact that he was averaging 41 pass attempts a game, and now he gets hurt. Um, What did you see from Joe 
while he was playing, just a, you know, a, a short synopsis. And are, are you worried about this knee? Because it's, uh, and again, I, it seems like I felt like this more this year than in a long time. Maybe it's just the COVID era, but I felt really sad to see this happen. Happened to be watching it at the time. And, and you knew it was bad right when you saw it. In fact, I didn't need to see it anymore after I saw it the first time, that's for sure. But, you know, just quickly, we, we talk about some of the things that we target when evaluating quarterbacks. Joe Burrow showed all of that the first couple of weeks of this year. Here's a guy that came into the, you know, early in the season. He stood in the pocket. He processed information. He, he gave you the feeling he knew exactly where the ball should go. Having said that, you know, it's obvious that he doesn't have a lot of talent around him. Like you said, he was taking uh, a beating. I don't think they did a great job of, of, when I say protecting him, not from the standpoint, and their offensive line has been shaky all year, but I'll give them credit. They improved as the year went on, but I didn't think their staff and their schemes did a good job of keeping him upright either and, and protecting him from himself. He's obviously a tough kid. He's going to stand in there. He's going to take, you know, the shots that are given. But I felt like the last couple of weeks when I watched him on tape, you could feel the weariness. You could, it wasn't if he was going to get hurt, it was when. You know, they were trying, like you said, to throw in the ball 50 times a game. Their best running back has been out for a month, Joe Mixon. So it was all on Joe. And I felt yep. like the load got heavy in in, in a way. And, and that's not literal, but it kind of is. He was carrying the franchise week in and week out, and it was a lot. And I always I felt like on his face, he was resigned to knowing that I'm going out there to fight the battle. But I felt like he knew he was risking life and limb, you know. And I'm worried about whether they even have the right, you know, coach there for him yeah. uh, and all of that. And, you, you know, I, I don't know if we mentioned it last week on the podcast, but you know, they they won 52% of their games with Marvin Lewis. And in the 25 games before Marvin got there, they were like 4-21 and 21 or 4-20. Yeah. and 20. And that's what they are after Marvin Lewis left. So not that I'm saying they need to keep Marvin Lewis, but but I, you've got this precious resource in Joe Burrow there. Yep. Uh, and now he's injured. And right. so is the clock going to be slowed again? And now, hey, okay, this season sort of gets written off and then we're going to come back next year and he's going to need half the year to get right. And, and we're going to have, before you know it, four or five years of the Zach Taylor era without necessarily yeah. demonstrating that this is the right person to trust the future of our franchise with. Um, yeah. And they're not a place that cha- has changed traditionally, you know, right. very much. So I'm worried that this setback with the broader sort of uh, context there doesn't set up as well as I was hoping when they drafted him. Yeah. And again, that probably relates to my comment about it kind of being sad. I think this is a organization that is ripe for, for more change. And Joe is, is the catalyst for that change. And we all saw that. But I'll say this, they've been trying to build this team for four or five years or, or at least a couple since Marvin left, and they've made no progress. So it's almost like you wish this kid could get a fresh start with someone or some place that had a track record of change of of some excitement of some bright eyes you know to go with him so that he's not the one shining light of change that they've had going forward and and maybe Zach Taylor ends up to be a great coach I don't know but I sure haven't seen anything there that says gosh this is a marriage made for the next 10 years let's get it done yeah and some of that has to do with he's an offensive coach and he doesn't have the weapons you know but at the same time I just don't see a scheme that's really uh, exciting me other than to put this quarterback in jeopardy because of the protections and the scheme and everything else. And so I have probably more questions than I have, uh, you know, answers when it comes to the Bengals. Joe Burrow had the juice there. That was the one thing no they doubt. had, you yes. know, and I think you could see that and you could feel good about it to a certain extent. But now even that is not there. They are going to go play the Giants this week without Joe Burrow. We are not going to pick the Bengals-Giants game, Randy, this week. That's not I don't, on our yeah, list. I don't know how the Bengals win a game, to be honest with you. I, that's the sad part about it as well. Is I don't know how they'll fare in this situation, but the one shining light they had is gone. I don't know how they put it yeah. together for these well, last five, six games. They do play Dallas in a couple of weeks, but you're right. Giants-Dolphins, yeah. they got the Steelers, they got the Ravens, they got some tough games coming up. Yeah. We had some tough games to pick last week. Um, 
Sander did pretty well. I mean, I think the key here is just not having as much knowledge as you, Randy. But um, uh, <laughs> Sandoz kicked my butt. I know that Tennessee. I had the Tennessee pick over Baltimore. I had the Green Bay. Or I had the Indy pick over Green Bay, and the Ram pick over Tampa. So I should go to Vegas. This obviously yeah. isn't going to hold up. We both. <laughs> we both. I'll give you more credit. We both missed. We both took the Chiefs, but you were much higher. You you have been telling us that Derek Carr is is a little different than in the past, and that. You see things you really like with him, and I think everybody who watched that game Sunday night came away going, "Yep, <laughs> yeah, you know no they doubt. were they were saying after the game what you were saying about uh, Derek Carr before the game." So, uh, bravo on that one. We'll see how they finish out their season. We got three games to pick this week. Um, Tennessee is at Indy Colts, favored by four. Do I am I willing to double down on the Titans and take the four points? I will. I will take. The Titans with the four points. We'll see if they have any emotional letdown. But um, I think that their weakness, their defense, plays an offense that's just okay. The Colts. Yeah. What do you think? Are you, t- you going to take those points with Tennessee? I love the matchup. I think it is an old school, you know, black and blue division type matchup. And this has the makings of a two hour, 40 minute game time, you know, with both teams yeah. wanting to run the ball. And so much of Indy is, is, you know, predicated on Phil and his ability to throw the ball downfield. Last week he did it. I struggled with if he would be able to do it after watching tape the two weeks prior. Um, I don't think a lot of Tennessee's defense, but they do maul you up front. But I think Indy's one of those teams that um, can match up against them up front on both sides of the ball. I'm going to take Indy for us. Uh, I need to catch up to you anyway in this picks game. I think Indy is set up right now. And again, this is maybe for the division at some point, but I'm kind of all in on the Colts and, and their defense, the way they're putting things together now. So I'm going to uh, I'm going to give you the points and, and I'm going to take the Colts. Yep. Okay. I put Arizona at New England on there and mm-hmm. – Arizona's, I think I wrote it down on my little notes for on here. I think Arizona's favored by two and a half. Is that correct? I would think Arizona would be the favorite, yeah. even though they're on the road for sure. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it is. So Arizona, Arizona is the favorite by two and a half. I'm going to lean New England on this one. Um, I feel like they they played a couple close games here. Kyler Murray came off the high against uh, Buffalo, but he's not 100%. Yeah. You know, his shoulder might be bugging him a little bit. So weather could always be a factor in New England. Um, I think Belichick going to have a good plan for them. Maybe we see a little bit of life out of Cam Newton against a defensive front for Arizona that isn't what it used right. to be. That's right. Where are you coming down on this one? I'm probably with you. Uh, and again, I find myself in the back of my mind really struggling week in and week out to go against Bill Belichick. <laughs> I think it's 20 years of <laughs> 20 years of getting kicked in the butt by him. But this is a prime example of what Bill Belichick does is take away what they do best. And I think he'll do that and he'll find a way to do that. I think you're going to see, talk about uh, power running game and talk about quarterback uh, powers and all that. You're going to see Cam Newton do all that stuff. They're going to try to shorten this game. They're not going to let the fast break get away from them. Um, I'm with you on New England. I, I don't think they're talented uh, enough to hang with Arizona, but I think when they when it's game plan uh, description this week, is really broken down, I'm betting on Bill will have a better game plan and have more answers than what Kingsbury can bring. And you're right, Kyler Murray not being 100%, that's a factor for me. So I'm with New England as well. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm kind of interested in the game. I think it's going to be no doubt. a fun one to watch. And look, if Arizona wins, we're not going to be shocked. I mean, they probably should, but we we almost sort of know better. Uh, the last one I put down, I actually sketched this in before the game last night, but Kansas City at Tampa – the Chiefs favored by three. I think I would give seven uh, at this yeah, point. Yeah, I'm Am taking I, that three and running right now can, before you change it, no doubt. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I wonder if it's even changed, if it's going to yes. change. No, it still says three right now. Um, but, yeah, I mean, much discussion there. Are you worried at all from a Kansas City no, standpoint? I'm yeah. not. I mean, I saw Kansas City go through the Raiders' defense the, the other night. Yeah. Like, it was you know, a knife through butter. Yeah. And, and I'm not betting against that. Pat no. Mahomes is the MVP for me. And we can talk about who might be second, but uh, Kansas City, uh, I'm all over that. And I don't care if the game's in Tampa or yeah. Kalamazoo or wherever, it doesn't matter to me. You know, and I think one of the things we're seeing contrast there, you know, the, really the reason that I went with the Rams last week was um, when you have the head coach, 
quarterback combo that have been together and been successful, kind of yeah. like, you know, look, we can pick nits in, in uh, Jared Goff's game and say he isn't this or that, and he's certainly not Patrick Mahomes. But uh, McVay and Goff's a pretty good, cohesive, they know what they want to do. They 100%. know how to play. Yes. Whereas Brady and Arians are week to yeah. week. We don't know if they've got it figured out. And now yeah, you're not got, sure they're on the same page. Yeah. Not sure they're on the same page. Well, I think Andy Reid and Pat Mahomes are on the same page. I think and, so. <laughs> uh, besides being better. But you know what I mean? Yeah. They, they yes. have like the ultimate talent and they're together. That cohesiveness is almost like an exponential effect. It's time for Ask the GM. Randy, our Ask the GM question this week. Lots has been written and said about Clemson quarterback Trevor Lawrence and coach Dabo Swinney going to the NFL as a package deal. If you were general manager of the Jaguars or one of these teams that's picking high, would you just hire Dabo Swinney and bring him to the NFL based on his track record in college? Well, it sure seems to be the media take and a lot of the fandom out there. They all, you know, always get fired up about couple of years ago, wasn't it? Lincoln Riley was going to be the next coming. And, and uh, I, I, I struggle with this only because when I view, and this isn't a referendum on Dabo, but more these top programs in college, I struggle with the fact that these coaches every week are favored. Every week they have way better players than who they play. Every week they are expected to win and really should win. In the NFL, it's not like that. Everybody has good players for the most part. You don't get to, you know, line up with 85 scholarship players. We only get 53. So it's a complete different world for these coaches. And hey, I was with Dennis Erickson in Seattle when he came from Miami. I was with Nick in Miami when he came from LSU. So yeah, so I've been around these guys in the system. and, And I remember them both saying to me at some point, this is hard. I mean, it's really hard. Nick always struggled with the fact that we only get one number one pick. He can go to college and recruit five every year, you know? <laughs> yeah. So yeah. it's it's not fair. But the NFL is not for everybody. It's hard. And I think what, what happens with these college coaches is you don't get to see who can coach because they have such good players. They're way better than everybody else. So on a week-in, week-out basis, they should win every game. So it's not just about recruiting. In fact, very little of it's about recruiting in the NFL. We get the select players. We don't have to recruit them. And we pay the ones that we can actually, you could recruit in the past. So the rules are different. So I struggle with just handing it over and everybody says, oh, it's a no-brainer. Just bring in Dabo Sweeney and he'll fix it all. Well, I think that's a that, that that's a little bit of a pipe dream in my mind. And that's not a reflection of Dabo, just in general of hiring college coaches to come in and run your program. I would be more apt to hire a guy like Matt Rule, who did more with less at Temple, who did more with less at Baylor, you know, who who's actually proved what kind of a coach he is and developing players. You know, even like uh, uh, Chris Peterson was at Boise and then Washington. You talk about a guy that develops players and develops some other things. Those are more proven down the track of an NFL success story, I believe, than even some of the top coaches who get all the attention in college ranks. Yep. And I think one thing that's that's evolved is, you know, the offenses being used in the NFL. You can see a Cliff Kingsbury come in and have some success with the right quarterback. So I think that is one thing that sets up better for those guys coming um, from college. But as we sort of look for templates and trying to figure out, okay, what are we looking for to evaluate just whether they can coach? I think that's a great one is did you go to places where you didn't have the best talent and did you turn it around and Matt Rule certainly did that and that was one of the major parts of his appeal and I think so far you know so good uh, yeah, not a great record in Carolina so but we feel we feel pretty good about that um, hey thanks everybody for coming along this week we're out of time uh, you can find more of us uh, on Twitter Mike Sando uh, at Sando NFL Randy Mueller at Randy Mueller underscore we hope to see you there certainly submit any questions you have for Ask the GM, and we'll we'll hit that next time. Randy, have a great Thanksgiving with your family. Stay safe, and we will talk to you next time. Happy Thanksgiving. Hey, football fans, this is Diana Rossini from The Athletic. Get the top stories in pro football snapped directly to your inbox with our latest NFL newsletter, Scoop City. Jacob Robinson and I will bring you the daily scoop of top NFL articles, posts, and podcasts every Monday to Friday. Sign up for free now at theathletic.com backslash scoop.